everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley, your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Oh boy, I am thrilled, absolutely so excited to have the sex professor as my guest on Love, Lust, and Laughter. Nicole McNichols, Dr. McNichols, is an associate teaching professor in the psychology department at the University of Washington. And she teaches a very popular course, uh, The Diversity of Human Sexuality. Approximately 4,000 undergraduate students attend her class every year. Largest and most popular in the his university's history. And so we get to have her now for this show. And we're going to talk about Barbie, the movie. Because everyone is talking about Barbie, the movie, and so will we. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Nicole, welcome to this program. I'm so happy you're here with me today. I've known about you for quite a while, and it's just really exciting for me to have you as a guest. Thank you so much, Diane. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so why did you... Um, look at the you've seen the movie you told me in our pre-interview you've seen the movie twice and i think you plan on seeing it a third time when your oldest daughter returns home i have yes i have seen it twice i saw it um once with my nine-year-old and then i took my husband and son to see it and then because they weren't all we're all you know busy family doing other things and then my eldest daughter gets back uh, next week, and I'm planning to see it a third time with her. And I just feel like every time I watch that movie, it just, I get sort of deeper and deeper into sort of the layers of it. I just think it has such important, so many different important messages and conveys them in such a creative, incredible way. So I feel like each time I see it, I love it more and more, and I get more out of it. <laughs> I've seen it only once, but I plan on seeing it again, too. I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating to uh, to see the layers and the themes that are explored in this movie in such a uh, an entertaining way. Exactly. But, but the reason you come back is, oh, we missed maybe uh, some of the nuances. Because layers, layers are in this movie. Layers and themes about body image and appearances perfectionism and shame yes all of those things more, but let's you know we have only an hour to to talk about this movie and <laughs> um, so let's let's get into it um so let's let's talk about body image uh, appearances because one of your your blogs um and your so Nicole is, Dr. Nicole is um, a PT blogger. For, that means Psychology Today blogger. She has some wonderful blogs. Uh, and I'll put all of these links in my show notes. But also you have just your, your TikTok and your Instagram are so much fun to watch. They're so informative and you have all this vitality and enthusiasm. In our pre-interview, I just disclosed that... Uh, I was talking about your enthusiasm, which is just so fun and so um, it's compelling. And I, I said, I'm drawn to enthusiasm. And I said, back when I was at Scripps College and I was graduating, 
in the senior class uh, thing, the yearbook, uh, we were asked to pick um, uh, a quote from a poet. And I picked, I gave it to you a little bit wrong yesterday. So I looked it up in my yearbook. I said, excitement is beauty. And I attributed it to Keats. That's wrong. It, the quote is, exuberance is beauty. And it's by William Blake. Well, whether it's exuberance, which is another word for enthusiasm, uh-huh. uh, you've got it. And I relate to it because I think it contributes so much to your sex positive ways. Yeah. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that mean, that's that means a lot to me. Um, and I do have a lot of exuberance for this topic because I think that we have been clouded in a lot of shame and stigma. I think that we continue to have a hard time talking about things like body image and sexuality and how to remain um, sort of a sexual person and enjoy a healthy, robust sex life, no matter where you are in your life. And, um, you know, your question about body image really resonated with me because I felt like with the Barbie movie, I just loved the fact that there was such a vast array of different types of Barbies that were being shown, right? I mean, it was truly kind of an intersectional feminist approach showing that Barbie doesn't have to just look like stereotypical Barbie. We had Barbies of all different shapes, sizes, colors, races. Um, And I, you know, I really loved that element of the movie. And I think it's so important that we begin to normalize just the incredible diversity that bodies and genitals too come in um, because all are capable of pleasure and all are capable of incredible things. And um, yet we believe that because of cultural messages that are ingrained into us, Um, especially with the proliferation of porn, we can have this idea that we're supposed to look kind of exactly like stereotypical Barbie, but actually there are a whole bunch of different beautiful ways to look and it doesn't have to, if we were all exactly the same, how boring would that be? But I think that I really like that the movie sort of addresses that particularly because in my world, I'm just seeing so much research come forth about the impact of body image on sexuality and particularly for women, because we do tend to get the brunt of it. Um, But just, it's something that can really, it inhibits you during sex. It can make you more self-conscious. It can make you become more judgmental and comparative during sex. And you have to remember that in order to have really enjoyable, pleasurable sex, we need to be turning off the parts of the brain that are so engaged in all of that thinking and judging and worrying. Um, Masters and Johnson even had a name for this. They called it spectatoring, which is this notion that a lot of people instead of inhabiting your body and focusing on the sensations that you're feeling during sex, allowing yourself to really be attuned to your own body, as well as to the sexual cues emanating from your partner, that instead of doing those things, which is really what's required to have really enjoyable sex, people spend a lot of time judging themselves kind of almost from a third party party perspective. And that's what the, the original 
uh, Masters and Johnson's term spectatoring. There's it's so common. There's even a word from it for it. And I, I think that as we live in a culture where we are, you know, just bombarded with images from the media and porn about what perfect bodies are supposed to look like, and we're taught to think that if you don't look like that, and let's face it, ninety nine point nine percent of the population doesn't. That somehow you're not good enough. That you're not. That you're not enough, <laughs> so to speak. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that that's an important thing that I took away, at least from the movie. Um, you you did you, one of your uh, blogs was the link between body image, sexual mindfulness, and desire, and yes. you, you cited the the new study. This was uh, you posted it April nineteenth. And you, and you cited this new study that a decline in body image correlated with worsening sexual arousal difficulties and increased sexual anxiety. For sure, yep. how can you really be in the moment, enjoying the pleasure, your own, and paying attention to your partner's pleasure and his or hers responsiveness? Yep. And you can't do that if you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, Oh, my chubby thighs. Oh, my drooping breasts. Uh, you know, and and it's it's really true that back when I was in my 20s, so a long time ago, <laughs> uh, I didn't have the confidence um, mm -hmm. that I have now. And so I, a, a man might compliment my body and I think to myself, oh, but doesn't he uh, see my thighs? Um, and at that time, I wasn't able to see my body as as it was maybe even as others might see it and what i think is so important for women to remember is your body is a unique shape embodying your individuality and i believed at the time that i had to change my body before i could love it and that is simply not true and all these years in between i've learned that i've become more confident lover and a better lover for my partner too, because I can really appreciate the pleasure now and not be thinking, it's almost a self, it's almost like a neurotic thing to be thinking just about yourself. It is. Um, I and I love, I really love everything that you just said, Diana, because I mean, you know, I think that it's just too easy to start thinking during sex, what do I look like from this angle? And oh no, what if my butt looks big from this angle or my thighs look too big? Um, and I think that really, you know, a lot of women kind of question, well, how do I recover from poor body image? And, yes. you know, of course, but yeah, the, and I think the first step is having conversations, of course, like the ones that we're having right now, where we just acknowledge how important it is and what a big issue it is. And, and then I think that it really helps to think, you know, your body does some pretty amazing things for you. Um, and so focusing on, you know, I love, for example, I spent a lot of time with my family during the summer in Sun Valley, Idaho, and we love to go for hikes and I love to go for really long bike rides. And part of the joy of that is just experiencing what you can do with your body, right? And what it's kind of what it's capable of of helping you to do. Um, you know, having children is another example. I mean, our bodies do miraculous things for us every day. 
Um, and so they deserve more respect than just judging them according to what their, you know, shape or size may be, especially when we're coming up with some kind of false standard. Um, but I also want to come back to the point that you raised about how your body image has actually become better as you've aged. And I think that that can actually really be the case for a lot of women. Um, and I think that it's sort of ironic because we live in a culture that really associates youth with beauty that tells um you know people that if you don't have a perfect you know body that looks like a 20 year old somehow you're not gorgeous um but ironically you know as we age we tend to be less harsh on ourselves right we tend to not care as much at least about what other people think we kind of grow into ourselves and really have the capability to know who we are, have a better sense of our identity, and to root our self-esteem and self-confidence in that as opposed to, you know, an extra inch that you have on your thighs or that you think looks wobbly when you're with a sexual partner. So I do think that there is a huge potential for women, especially as they get older, um, to really kind of become at peace with their body and again, recognize it for how much pleasure it can bring and view it as something that you really should be kind to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, be kind to it. And you're right with, with aging, uh, you, you do become more comfortable, especially if your partner uh, is enthusiastic about your body. You know, um, there are tons of sex surveys and uh, guys will, not complain about the size of their partner's rear end. Mm -mm. And and what we really should remember is that by a time, by the time a man wants to sleep with a woman, he finds her attractive. Yes. If there's any way to free your energy from this anxiety and put put more fun into the sex with him, play. Uh, you know, you can just enjoy so much of the, the good times ahead. And I think we should point out though, uh, other than this, uh, this these standards that are so high, that some people do struggle to get fully into their bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some, I, I work with uh, a lot of clients and, and some of them happen to be um, engineers. Um, uh -huh. uh, you know, very focused on on the technology and so yep. on. And very just, much in their head. <laughs> in their head, they can't, they have trouble relaxing enough to enjoy what is being shared with them sexually. Uh, they have trouble getting out of their heads and into their bodies. And so I think learning to massage and be massaged. And of yes. course, I do something else that Masters and Johnson, especially Virginia Johnson, started which was sensate focus. And I have it in my book as most sex therapists use this. This is, yep. this is touching, taking turns, touching each other. Mm -hmm. No kind of sex is allowed until the third session. So you mm -hmm. spend time on the face and the hands and the feet and the middle of the body. And then finally you get to breasts and genitals, some of the more traditional uh, erotic zones. But it really leads, I've had a lot of men, especially men with erectile dysfunction problems, ED problems, and PE problems to premature, just relax into, oh, I'm going to, 
I don't have to worry about my penis getting hard and being able yep. to penetrate. I can just enjoy the moment. So that's what they learn to do if they really focus in. And it's a very effective exercise, Sensate Focus. I love that. And and I talk a lot about Sensate Focus with my class just because there's so much research behind it. I know that it really is kind of a gold standard method with sex therapists. And I think you're absolutely right in that it comes back to mindfulness, really. It's putting yourself back in your body and understanding we tend to associate sex in our culture as just being about <laughs> the connection of genitals. And it's really about so much more. There's such a connection. Our entire bodies are erogenous zones, right? It's you know, you you giving a massage, being able to experience what sensations feel like on different parts of your body can be incredibly erotic. And it, it doesn't have to lead to sex. And in fact, I think that for a lot of couples saying you're not allowed to have sex, you're just allowed to be touching each other and exploring each other in those areas like around your whole body can be really helpful. And just like you say, takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, and then, you know, I would also add that you can, if you, you know, if you like massage, right, with oil, there are all types of candles that you can buy that are massage oil candles that melt just to body temperature. Um, and then couples sometimes want to then experiment with other types of temperature play, whether it be, um, you know, a candle or it be an ice cube or a feather. So it's, I think, really about exploring sensations in all different parts of our bodies and maybe also different types of sensations. Um, and I know that this might seem really wild for some people and that's okay, but you might even consider blindfolding yourself or your partner because in that way, you're less about kind of these visual cues and thinking about everything that has to happen and you become less analytical, you become more reliant on how your body's feeling, which I think can be a really useful tool. Yes, and then once you know that, you've experienced it, you're much more likely to be to ease up on yourself. Yes. Uh, to, uh, you know, we, we going back to the movie Barbie. Yes. <laughs> you know, so we've got Barbie, and she's a uh, stereotypical Barbie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, how, how does this stereotypical Barbie, the character, how does she... Um, how does she deal with the anxiety-induced need for protect, for perfection? She she had, goes through a whole bunch of discoveries and, um, but you know the the, the anxiety-induced for women too, and women going into uh, the STEM. It's 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 hard for a lot of women to go into the STEM fields because. Um, there are these superficial expectations uh, of them, and and they they don't feel like they maybe are attractive enough. And, right. um, yeah, and you know, I love your question of um, you know, just back to Barbie. How does that kind of relate to how she deals with it? And yeah. you know, I think that um, I love towards, and I hope this isn't a, a spoiler alert, alert, <laughs> um, but towards yeah. the end of the movie going to give a lot of them before yeah. <laughs> when I love how when she has the conversation 
with um the her her the the creator her creator i guess we could call her um and you know she feels like even at that point that she hasn't accomplished anything right and and she feels you know, during the movie, she kind of has this low where she feels like she there's just absolutely nothing. She's help. She feels helpless and she feels ineffective. And yes. yeah. And I think that, you know, first of all, one of the things that I really love in that movie is just you see this connection between women. Right. Because it's kind of America for our Ferreras. I think that's how you pronounce her last name um, yes. role that really sort of pulls her up. Right. And makes her realize, no, actually, you are good enough and you are, you know, incredibly beautiful and you can do amazing things. And I think that she, you know, then thinks about it and realizes here she is. She's really done a lot to heal this relationship between a mother and a daughter in the movie. And she comes up and helps with the plan where, uh, you know, they snap the Barbies awake by explaining the impact of the patriarchy. And so a lot of this, you know, I think it boils down to her ability to, again, identify the problem because sometimes it's just talking about something that frees us from it, right? It's just about identifying it, whether it's describing it in your own words to a friend or to a therapist or journaling about it. I think the more we talk about these things, the the better able we are to move on from it. And, you know, she realizes it doesn't have to be something where you fix it and make it perfect. It's you just have to try, right? You just have to do your best to, you know, and I love that because in the ending of the movie, I don't think it's tied up in a perfect bow. I don't think we see that, you know, for example, Ken still has to go and figure out who he is and Barbie's still figuring out who she is. It's, we're all works in progress, um, but that's a beautiful thing, right? It's, and it's, we're not meant to be this static form of perfection. We're meant to be leaning into the things that, where we want to grow. And, and I think that that's just a really beautiful message. So I appreciated that. I agree. And I think you, you mentioned something about the, just talking about it. You don't have to fix it right away. And I think it's especially useful to talk about shame-induced feelings. You know, sometimes shame has been called the master emotion because yeah. it's the feeling that we're not worthy or competent. Oh, you know, that, or good, or that, or that we are in a sense rotten to the core. We're just not good enough. Uh, and sometimes, you know, women will internalize this shame on you if you fail. So don't even try. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, that's the inner critic talking. Uh, and it's it, and then there isn't room for growth. If the woman or the man buys into this, you're, you're, there's no room for growth. Exactly. And, you know, that's where I think having a sexual growth mindset is so important in a growth mindset in general, which is just this belief that if we address this and talk about it and take steps to try to heal ourselves, that we can make a difference in our everything from our own body image to our self-identity to our relationships. Um, it's about, you know, just getting up and doing your best um, and understanding that it doesn't have to be perfect, that we 
you know, are just trying to take steps in a direction where we learn, right? It's about learning and curiosity and exploration and not being afraid to, you know, you might try something, whether it's in the bedroom or in a different domain of your life, and it may not go well. And that's okay, because there's a lot of learning that can happen from figuring out maybe what you don't like or what isn't working for you. Absolutely. There's a lot of learning that uh, can get done. And uh, yeah, just learning and trying and, and uh, exploring and having enough confidence to do this, knowing that you might fail. I like what you say. It's, it's really, really important. Um, what do we do about, I wanted to add on a little bit more about, because this fits into what we're talking about, uh, what, what to do about uh, poor body image. And I'm back to my unique, that we have uniqueness. Uh, so I want to cultivate the ability to appreciate my uniqueness. I encourage my clients, appreciate your uniqueness. Because when you start to appreciate your imperfections as what? As endearing distinctions. Yes. Then you will begin to learn to love yourself and when you do that, guess what? You can learn to love others better. You know, exactly. You're not exactly. so self, you know, we, we kind of, that's one reason narcissists are so difficult to deal with or have a relationship with. And, and in fact, that, that could be a good segue um, into talking about Ken and some of how he dealt with patriarch, patriarchy and entitlement, but narcissism is really, um, it's all about me, 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 and it's really hard to get out of me and and loving somebody else and paying attention to somebody else. You know, when we stop paying attention, um, it's not good. It's uh, a good, you know, good sex occurs when we are paying attention. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Because sexuality is as much about awareness as it is about action. Exactly. And, you know, before we move on to that, though, I just want to come back to your point about, I really loved how you pointed out um, recognizing what's unique about you, right? And awesome. instead of viewing it as an imperfection, I think for, you know, myself to share a personal example, um, yeah. you know, I've had three children and my stomach is by no means a per the perfectly flat tone version that it was when I was 18 years old. No, um, no. And, how could it be? <laughs> yeah, how could it be? And for a number of years, I it really bothered me. I mean, I would look at it and I pinch it and I would, you know, think like, oh, if only I didn't have this. Um, and, you know, finally, I really just was able to start viewing it as like, I've did something miraculous here. I had three children. That's why my stomach looks this way. And that's okay. Right. That's a beautiful thing. It's something that I think endearing is the right word. Am I going to say that I love my, my, you know, my stomach pooch? No. Um, but am I, um, do I look at it and think, you know what, it's just me, that's my stomach, I, you know, and I, you know, then it's great. And as you know, my husband doesn't care, right, my husband definitely finds it endearing. Um, and, you know, again, we've had three amazing kids, it's just sort of a a sign of that. Um, but, you know, narcissism is so interesting, um, especially in the domain of sex, because 
I think there's a really fine line between, you know, of course, none of us want a selfish, narcissistic lover. Having sex with somebody who is only worried about their own pleasure and is only focused on how they look and on, you know, proving their own manhood or womanhood or, or any element of their you know, power. No one wants to have sex with a person like that, of course. Right. And that's not something that is going to lead to a happy, integrated life. At the same time, I think we do need to recognize that there is, you know, to a small extent, having a healthy dose of entitlement in sex can be helpful. Um, and what that looks like is understanding, you know, this idea of owning your own pleasure. And what that means is realizing, you know, taking the time to explore your body, to know what feels good to it, and then feeling comfortable asserting yourself in the bedroom, right? Asking for what you might want sexually, initiating perhaps what you want sexually having conversations with your partner. And that does not preclude also asking them what they want and what they would enjoy. But if your focus is always just solely on your partner, that's not going to lead to great sex for either of you, because it just means that it's kind of putting all the, not just the spotlight, but all the pressure on the other person's pleasure. And it's going to make you eventually feel resentful and neglected and, and, you know, great sex happens when both people both mutually experience a lot of pleasure. So the entitlement and narcissism piece, it's, you know, you have to remember when we have sex, we kind of enter into a headspace that's totally separate from what we kind of think of as being a helpful mindset when we're, you know, having, um, you know, when we're at work, when we're not having sex, you know, as Esther Perel, one of my favorite, favorite um, therapists says, you know, many of the things that we fantasize about at night are exactly the things that we protest against during the day. And I, I kind of put narcissism a little bit in that category, because if you can get yourself to a place where maybe you buy yourself a really gorgeous piece of lingerie, or maybe you put on your favorite perfume, or maybe you do something, you take a bath or do something and really luxuriate in it and make yourself so that you feel hot, right? Because our desire for our partner, a lot of times we mistakenly believe that it just has to do with our feelings of attraction for them. But so much more often, it has to do with how desirable we feel ourselves. And I I think that it's fair to say that a little bit of entitlement can sometimes help you to feel like you are a person who is sexy and hot and that is wanted. At my advanced age, uh, <laughs> and I've been with Brian, my husband, for th- almost next month or two months, it'll be 13 years, um, I still practically always dress for sex. Love you dress that. Success, and then I love to do a little strip tease. Mm-hmm. I get myself in the mood. I can see the desire in his eyes. It's one reason here we are seniors. We have such a hot. Good. I love that. <laughs> because, yes, I, I do feel entitled to pleasure. He's got a wonderful saying, worship your woman and the goddess will reward you. So I, I like his worshiping. And I, yes. but I get in the mood. That's the entitlement piece. 
Yeah. I deserve, I've come to deserve lots of good sex, multiple orgasms each time. And it's because I can let go. I feel safe with him, but I've turned myself on too. So that's speaking. Yes. We're just talking about that's really important. Now that requires sexual confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of women don't have it. And that's one reason that I think going to a class like yours, seeing a sex therapist like me, yep. reading a lot of books, there's so many really good self-help, a lot of uh, well, yes. we a little bit about this in our pre-interview, um, uh, watching porn together that's porn for, for couples to watch. Yes, uh, absolutely. What is, what is the term? is Ethical porn. Ethical porn. <laughs> Ethical porn. Yes, I totally agree with all of that. And, you know, we're on the same page in that I think that really one of the best tools for building sexual self-confidence is education and just learning and reading as much as you can about your body, about sex, about, because so often when we feel like we lack self-confidence, it's almost that we just don't feel like we really know a lot about what sex is supposed to feel like or what feels good to our own body. And if you don't kind of understand what turns you on and what feels good to you and what sex actually really looks like in real life, not just what it looks like in the movies, um, I think that it's important to be able to learn those things so that you, again, feel like you're coming into your sexual experiences informed and empowered informed and empowered and that's maybe that's a good place to to revisit the movie barbie specifically yes. <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> yeah you know um let's let's talk a little bit about about ken because uh, ken had some pretty big pretty big challenges here because once he went he went into the human realm he had he was exposed to patriarchy Yep. And then the perils of toxic masculinity and entitlement. So we've talked about entitlement. There's a place for that as you're developing your confidence. Uh, and then on the other hand, once they went into the real world, this is another spoiler alert, but you know, people are going <laughs> uh -huh. to see it or not. You know, I think the trailer tagline for Barbie is if you love Barbie, this movie is for you. If you yep. hate this movie is for you. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, he can had some lessons to learn and he, he had to learn how to self-soothe and what else did he have to learn about? Yeah. I, and I think that it was, you know, learning when he, you know, when he came back to Barbie land, it was understanding how to differentiate himself from Barbie, right? As she says in the end, it's not Barbie and Ken, maybe it's Barbie and it's Ken, right? As two separate people. And, you know, I think that, you know, when it comes back to sex, I think that that's an another really important element in relationships where, I think it's really easy, especially when you're managing a family and a household and, you know, you've been together for decades, you, you know, start to operate like a team, which is fantastic, but sexually, right. You, you also want to be able to maintain your individuality, right. You want to be able to experience 
a certain amount of personal growth and be able to explore either hobbies or passions or a career or something that lights you up because that feeling of individuality and passion that you experience outside the bedroom is absolutely going to then feed back into your sex life, right? We can't um, expect our sex lives to stay vibrant if we are so enmeshed with our partner that neither of us really exists as an individual outside the relationship. It takes enough distance so that both people can kind of be separate people and be admiring and wanting and desiring each other. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's more of a, um, you know, roommate situation than it is lovers. So I think that that Ten sexual tension comes from being able to take a step back and see your partner not as just a mother, not just as a you know co-parent, um, not as just even your wife, but as or your husband, but as a person who you're still exploring and still has you know something of you know we never fully know people, nor are we ever totally one hundred percent in control of what they do or where they go or, you know, love, there are no guarantees, right, with love. And so just understanding that you need to kind of appreciate the person that's in front of you for their uniqueness um, and not take that for granted and really make efforts to not just be a couple where you're spending every waking minute together, but where you have time apart and time to experience things that make you grow. So that when you come back together, you're almost each time slightly newer, improved versions of yourselves. Yes. And it's in those instances that the dopamine flows. Yes. Is, is, is your, is aroused or is more likely to flow when you have novelty in your relationship. And so if you if you're bringing something new, something of yourself new to the relationship, or you've had a new experience, then more dopamine. Uh, my my husband and I uh, live apart. Um, mm -hmm. We have one of those LAT relationships, which I mentioned to you, Nicole. Yes, love that. Yeah, I it's it's good, and we can do it. And only people over fifty, pretty much, are doing this. Their children are launched, and and uh, but it really works for us because we have yeah. some space in our togetherness. Brian and I are well differentiated. And so we don't, we we can stand on our own two feet. We don't have to have tons of validation from the other person because we can self-validate. We can self-soothe. So we don't have a lot of fears. We can come together and merge at times and have this ecstatic experience and not fear that we're going to be taken over swallowed up by the other this is now getting a little Freudian I don't want to necessarily know but I think that that's a really important interesting point I mean I think that we do get a little terrified of being completely engulfed or swallowed up by our partner and to the extent that we can kind of maintain our individuality within our relationship that's absolutely going to keep passion alive and keep the dopamine flowing just like you say huh. yeah yeah Got to keep the dopamine flowing. Yep. <laughs> so, so let's let's go back to a, some some of the points in the movie. Um, I think the movie did really give some nuanced models for male self care and self acceptance. You know, he had to get past that whole uh, business of well, he became Ken enough or 
in us. <laughs> How do you yeah. anyway, he wore a t-shirt toward the end. It was really cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. <laughs> but yeah, but Barbie noticed how the, the movie shows, at least the movie shows, how men often translate, uh, oh, should we say existential angst into anger, into, yes. into sexual longing. He had a real rough time there for a while. And then there was even some male violence, which is testosterone run amok. Yep. Then there was a really lovely scene. I have a, a dance background as well as an acting background. And I love the scene with all the men in their black t-shirts and black pants. Oh, and this modern dance. Amazing. Yes. They were. Yeah. What did you take away from that, from the male dance that they did? Yeah, you know, I loved that. Um, and I felt like it was really, you know, just the, um, you know, the, the, that violence aspect that you talk about. I mean, there is, you know, it's interesting because I think that male depression can oftentimes manifest differently than female depression, right? A lot of times with, um, woman depression might be kind of more obvious in terms of um, it kind of looking the way we expect it to with a, you know, a low mood and, um, you know, feeling down and expressing that. Whereas I think a lot of times for men, because they've been socialized to repress their emotions, right, it kind of gets turned inward and it gets expressed as anger. So- wow. Yeah. And I mean, anger is a much more socially accepted behavior among men than than depression is. So I think that, you know, it's interesting that when there's trauma, right, the the um, woman, right, Barbies, they are allowed to kind of express sadness. Whereas for a lot of the Kens, it's, you know, pushing the emotions down, not acknowledging them. And then it it does turn into anger. And then that does lead to, you know, can lead to some pretty devastating consequences. So yeah, I love that scene with them <laughs> all on the, the um, you know, with the tennis rackets beating each other. <laughs> I mean, it was still, it was still, you know, Barbie or Kenland. So, you know, they didn't have actual guns, but I thought it was a good representation of, you know, what grief can kind of look like um, based off of, you know, gender stereotypes. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I, I I see men in my practice, um, and they somehow more than women experience um, rejection mm -hmm. and maybe even isolation in a re in a relationship as a result of something they see as a lack of attention or affection from a yes. partner or a spouse, and and. Um, you know, they're they they they'll often they they're often really reliant on a partner's physical affection and touch and sexual connection. And I'm reminded of a study that was done a long time ago by the Kinsey Institute, mm -hmm. which I got to visit again last May. Oh, when wow! We there and we went. We had a conference there for our uh, for our profession a uh, long time ago. Great. Uh, and but anyway, the Kinsey Institute did this study of I, I, it was well over a thousand men. And um, 
And so what, what do men really want? They found out that men really wanted more cuddling, more snuggling. Oh my gosh, love they didn't that. Want sex that much. They wanted the affection. Yeah. They feel connected. Yep. And, you know, men that don't feel connected are often, or of course, a lot of men do want sex. But when men are denied this, and there could be good reasons for it, but they're often very grumpy. Yes. And 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 they're sad, but they can't express that. And they're angry, but they can't always, well, they do express it, but then it's perceived by the partner often as, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, one of my most popular Psychology Today blog posts is about the importance of human touch. Um, Yeah, I don't think we realize, yeah, just how essential it is, you know, things like cuddling, holding hands, um, you know, just being close to each other. Um, You know, it kind of comes back to this idea of love languages, but Mm -hmm, that I think it's true that, you know, especially because they happen to be the gender that socialize not to necessarily express their emotions, a lot of affection, um, you know, and a lot of their sort of what they need for connection oftentimes does come through physical touch. Now, having said that, I will share with you that my love language is definitely physical touch, right? And so I just feel that it's, yeah, <laughs> I guess not surprising given our given our, our professions, <laughs> but oh. it's more than just sexual touch, right? I think that non-sexual touch, being around each other, cuddling, hugging, um, back rubs, massage, all of it is so important. And I think it I think it connects you energetically. I think it enables you to, you know, sort of almost, I read somewhere that it helps your nervous systems to even sync up with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's just underappreciated. You know, again, it goes back to this cultural insistence that sex is sex and it's penetrative sex. And that if you're not doing that, it's that or nothing. Um, But a lot of times connecting with a person physically means just, you know, experiencing what it likes just what it's like just to be calm and have their presence and affection and attention. So, yeah. And other extreme, Nicole, um, we've got people that will have both men and women. They'll agree to sex just to be held. Yes. So yes. They're having intercourse, but they really what they want to they want to be held and comforted. And, yep. and if the partner doesn't know about that about being affectionate yeah and then they they don't they they, they're held but it doesn't give them the same benefits exactly you know i think one of the best forms i mean i'm so lucky because when brian and i are home and not traveling and i'm at his house on the weekends saturday afternoon he gives me an hour-long massage and (sighs) you know of course with our children okay. are launched. We have privacy. Yeah. Wonderful. But boy, is that ever great foreplay? Yes. I am so relaxed. And, and of course he has, it's, it's a straight, it's a straight massage nothing genital about it. Yep. It is arousing. 
I love that. And I think that, you know, there's, I think that, you know, one thing that I recommend is incorporating some kind of physical touch that you do with your partner every day or, you know, or, you know, when you do see each other, um, whether it's a massage or a hug or, you know, sitting next to each other on a couch, watching a movie with your legs draped over each other, what, you know, whatever it is just to have, you know, sort of a, almost a ritual where there are elements of non-sexual touch that are woven into your time together, where there isn't necessarily an expectation of sex coming out of it. Right. I think that that's just, you know, something that all of us can benefit from, from, um, from exercising. So. Absolutely. Uh, yes. And uh, just to add on to what you just said, uh, one of the best things that a couple can do if they're watching TV or a film together and they're at home, yeah, she can put her legs into his lap and he yep. can give her a foot massage. I get that every night. Look at the Chinese. Five, for 5,000 years, we've had reflexology. Yep. That's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. Exactly. Um, all of those nerve endings in the feet that, that connect with other parts of our bodies. Yep. So a foot massage can just be so delicious. Exactly. <laughs> so, delicious. Exactly. so I'm also encouraging couples to do this a, a lot, to find ways to be affectionate. Now, if you've grown up in a family without demonstrative affection, it's it's hard but men can, it's more men than women because also the culture, um, mm -hmm. but men can learn to be more touchy feely. Yes, absolutely. We'll homework assignments because with cognitive behavioral therapy, we've got to change some of the behaviors. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, because a lot of people will respond like, oh, I'm just not a touchy feely person, right? Like I just don't love to be touched. And even for those people, maybe especially for those people, you know, it doesn't, we're not talking about, you know, cuddling with your partner, you know, all night long. We're talking about incorporating rituals where you just are physically touching each other, where there isn't just, it's where, where the, you know, the, the only time that you touch each other shouldn't just be when you're having sex, right? It needs, there needs to be sort of elements of closeness incorporated, um, it, you know, at other times throughout your day and week. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it makes such a difference. Um, in my book, we have a whole chapter on touch. I love that. And of course, that's where the sensei focus exercises are spelled out. Um, let's let's um, change direction a little bit, not much, but because <laughs> uh -huh. I want before we lose uh, our hour, uh, you know, how 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 did Barbie deal with sexism? Because that we've already talked about some of it, but let's this specific question. How did she deal with sexism when she went into the experienced it for the first time she's going into the real world? Yeah, um, I think by, you know, allowing, first of all, by being vulnerable, right, and admitting that, you know, she felt helpless and that, she, you know, allowing herself to experience those negative emotions. And then by, you know, connecting, I think, with other women. I mean, one of the things that's 
shown is that to, you know, there's this a stress response that's particularly more common among women, which is the tend and befriend response. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's the idea that you, we release oxytocin, you know, we can, when we, you know, we, when we connect with other people and when we're, you're going through a collective experience that feels stressful, I think that, you know, by collect, by connecting with the other women and by talking about the issue and by just making themselves aware of what it is, they're kind of able to, you know, then it becomes really pretty easy for them to kind of take back their power. Um, So, you know, I think that's really, you know, that's why it's important for women to be able to support each other and um, to be able to have compassion um, because it is, I think, in our ability to connect that we can make ourselves stronger and, and better able to, you know, stand on equal footing. So well expressed. You, oh, thank you. you are just amazing. Um, uh, and, thank you. And you too. <laughs> if you're not getting enough of Dr. Nicole McNichols, please go to her Instagram or TikToks and you get these mostly three minutes or less. Great instruction. And great. And it's so much fun to watch because it's entertaining and enlightening. And um Thank you. And this has been amazing. I would also add, if you go to my website, which is um, NicoleTheSexProfessor.com, you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter that goes out where I share sex advice, just sort of tidbits kind of consistent with the ideas we've discussed today. Um, And then I'm really excited about my forthcoming book, You Could Be Having Better Sex, um, The Science of Connection for Healthier, Hotter, Happier Lives. It'll be out next year. So (laughs) lots of time to connect. And I'm really hoping that we're not quite done. We have a few more minutes, but I'm jumping ahead because you are (laughs) guests that I would like to have you back. Oh, definitely. (laughs) We have so much to talk about. For one thing, you have a lot of posts on orgasms. Yes. And, and, you know, that's, of course, a concern for so many women. Oh, yes. And what we've been talking about really is important for a woman to reach orgasm. And she has to feel safe to reach orgasm, to be able to let go. She has to know her partner. She has to be able to speak up and say what she wants and needs and desires and and he has to be able to hear her. So this is where a narcissist is a male uh, or a narcissistic lover is not going to do it for you. Yeah. I, mean, I I in my in my uh, dating career, which has been after a divorce and then after the death of a of a husband. So I've had two times, two different stages in my life. And the last time before I met Brian and I was still in Los Angeles, I dated a lot of wealthy men, but they were so narcissistic and mm-hmm. they didn't like cunnilingus. Oh, <laughs> forget it. Often clueless. And they and again, they're only concerned with their own pleasure. Exactly. And, you know, I think that one thing my students are always, especially my female students are always so relieved and surprised to hear is that 
you know, we're taught to put penetrative penis and vagina sex on a pedestal um, where we think that that's kind of the best kind of sex or the only real kind of sex. But that's how intercourse is actually a very inefficient way for a person with a vulva to have an orgasm. We tend to you know, research sort of consistently shows that only 18% of women are capable of having an orgasm from penetration alone. The rest need at least some type of clitoral stimulation. So yeah, if you're with a partner who is, you know, ignoring your clitoris, then that is not acceptable. <laughs> That's right. A man should be uh, very clitorally. Uh, clitorally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clit intelligence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> clit intelligence. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we've maybe, have we coined that or maybe somebody I else? I think we have. <laughs> oh, Dr. Nicole, you're just an amazing woman and I appreciate you so much. And this has been a really very interesting show. And we want to encourage any of you listening, hopefully, if you thought, oh, Barbie, why would I want to see that movie? Of course, there have been a lot of good reviews about it, but uh, go see it and, and, yes. and listen to this show first. I mean, because it'll be archived by tomorrow and then see if, if you can pick out some of the things that Dr. Nicole and I have have talked about. And yeah. And let us know. <laughs> let us know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk with you, Nicole, about a part two of this show. I hope so. <laughs> oh, so dear. What an, isn't, doesn't it feel good to make a really good connection with somebody? It does. Stranger, you know, it's and, wonderful. <laughs> not in common, Paul. You love it. You're almost half my age. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, and I think we should also, when we have a part two, talk more about play because a lot of people yes. are very serious about sex and um you know sex i think is the closest thing adults have to the kind of play we engage in when we were kids yes and the uh the the inuits i think that's how it's pronounced they used to be called eskimos uh -huh. they call sex laughing time <gasps> see exactly and i mean my definition laughing time it should be incorporating more play. Yes, I agree. So one more thing that's serious and routine, only done in reasonable ways, you lose much of the power and the magic of sex in our lives. Exactly. Exactly. It becomes treated like it's a stage performance rather than something that you get to enjoy and laugh and take yeah. pleasure in and play with. Yeah, I love that. I wonder if there'll be a part two of Barbie where we get yeah. to see how Barbie and Ken have truly evolved, where she really understands completely the power of female confidence and collaboration. And he completely understands the perils of toxic masculinity and entitlement and maybe has evolved into a partner that would be good for Barbie. Yes, there <laughs> could be a Barbie Ken re reunion. <laughs> I bet that happens. I, I don't know. I'm just now thinking about it for the first time, but that'd be a good sequel. <laughs> Dr. Nicole McNichols, what a pleasure this show has been to do with you. You're just 
such a wise woman. Uh, oh, thank so you so much, Diana. This has been such a treat for me. Well, good. And we'll do it again. And everybody, let us know if, give us some feedback if you saw the movie after listening to this show. And if what if you saw some of the patterns and the things that we noticed. All right, everybody, have some fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Nicole, again. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye.